0: You're listening to audio from NC Worship, the Sunday morning worship gathering of Neartown Church in Houston, Texas. We're in John's Gospel, and so if you have a Bible, open it up to the book of John. We're going to be spending a lot of time this year and slowly kind of working working through it and listening to what God has for us. If you don't have a Bible, lift your hand, and Giovanni is in the back, and he will get you one. So just bring a Bible quickly, deep. So these people that have their hand raised and uh, can't get there quick enough, just throw it. It'll hit them in the back of the head, and uh, they'll they'll go. Okay, so uh, I'll tell you what page it's on, even if you're new to the Bible. Eight hundred and eighty-six is where we're going to be uh, this morning. For those of you that are newish to the Bible, click we'll this I want you to understand how we do this thing. Um, You know, um, we're going to talk today about a guy named John the Baptist. And John the Baptist had wide influence. And I do want to be clear about something. John the Baptist is different than John, the guy that wrote the Gospel. And so I'm going to refer to him throughout my message as John the Baptist. And um, his influence was wide. He was kind of a wild, wild man. He he was um, uh, often associated with a prophet who was considered to be a little weird, a little strange. A prophet by the name of uh, Elijah. And... um, he wore kind of some strange clothing and, 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 uh, and did some, some really unique things. And uh, we're going to look at his life because he's so important as we begin to learn about who Jesus is and, and our, our view of who Jesus is becomes more and more crisp and more and more clear. John the Baptist is an appetizer of sorts. Who here likes to eat? Confess it right now. Yeah, okay, good. You, you like to I like to eat and I don't know about you, but one of my favorite meals fajitas. Can I get a witness? <laughs> I mean, we are in the fajita capital of the world, quite possibly, and uh, one of the places that I like to go eat fajitas is at Papacitos, and, uh, and I'm trying to avoid that place this time of year to make up for what happens, <laughs> happened in the last few months, uh, but but uh, I love Papacitos, and one of the things I love about Papacitos is not only their fajitas, but it's the appetizer. And you say, well, it's just chips, right? But you know as well as I do. You could go to different Tex-Mex restaurants, and, and chips be different. But at Papacitos, the chips are good. And not only the chips, but they have this this bowl, this substance called, what is it called, Jeannie? Avocado ranch. Thank you. She always orders. I just know. Uh, I just look and start dipping. So, avocado ranch. So, there's something about that appetizer. You know what it does not me? It creates a long for the main course. I mean, the appetizer is good. John the Baptist is an appetizer to the main course. I mean, I wouldn't go there just for the chips and uh, dip, (laughs) but when I get those chips and I get that dip, I know that there is something coming and it's going to be these fajitas and it's going to be those fresh tortillas. You must get hungry right now. (laughs) I'll be be quick, I'll get through this quickly. Uh, We can all make our way to lunch. Well, that's what John the Baptist is. He's an appetizer of sorts. He isn't the main dish, but his arrival lets us know that the main course is coming. Now we're gonna look a little bit at his life And then we're going to consider what we're going to call a dramatic pause in his life. Okay, so he will introduce us to Jesus for the very first time in John's Gospel. And uh, Now, one thing that's interesting about these passages, as we get to know John the Baptist a bit, Uh, he... His life and his behavior and what is said about him in this passage prepares us for thinking about how we might be used as an appetizer in other people's lives to introduce them to the main course Jesus, okay? And so as we go through this passage, I'm just going to talk specifically about John the Baptist, but I do want you to know that as I draw an application, I'm going to talk to you about how God might use you. In other people's lives you know and particularly for those of you that are Christians and I realize not everybody here is a Christian and so those of you that are not Christians yet just look into how we think about this and I want to invite you to consider carefully the claims of Christianity but for those of you that are Christians we have the awesome privilege of preparing the way for others to behold Jesus as the Savior that's the main idea we have this awesome privilege of preparing the way for others to behold Jesus as Christ, as Savior. Everybody say, behold. Behold. Oh, very good. Um, you know, we do that in a lot of ways as individuals, but we also get to do that as a church. And I just want to interject something here that to share with you. Uh, we as a church in the month of December got together and we wanted to serve one of the elementaries in the neighborhood. We went to the principal and we said, what's your vision for your school? One part of his vision was to serve and support uh, it encourages teachers. And so we came back to the drawing board and we said, uh, What can we do? And a group of ladies from within our church got together and put together uh, some little gift bags that our church was able to pay for totally because of your ongoing generous uh, tithes and offerings. And so one of the teachers wrote me this note. And so I thought, How fun would it be if I just read it to you so you can encourage by it? So, dear friends at Town Church, that's you. Uh, I'm a teacher at Gregory Lincoln Education Center. Now, before you stop reading, okay, everybody look out here. Gregory Lincoln Education Center is an elementary in the near town neighborhood where the majority of the children are considered to be homeless. In other words, they live in Salvation Army, they live in Star Hope, they live in a hotel or some sort of temporary housing. Okay, so this is an elementary in the area where the children and their families have great needs. It's underserved, underprivileged, and we said as a church, hey, we want to begin engaging and serving and helping. This is what it looks like to live out the gospel in our community. Okay, so it's a really beautiful thing. So I'm a teacher at Gregory Lincoln Education Center. I want to thank you for the fun goodie bag, especially the Starbucks card you gifted each of us with. I'm grateful for the ways you as a church are reaching out to support and care for us at. Gregory Lincoln Authentication Education Center. May God bless you to continue to reach out, encourage, and bless us who teach the children of this city. Gratefully, Betty Harrington. Now, I hope you're encouraged by that. Uh, just knowing that you have, in a way, done something in the lives of the entire faculty at Gregory Lincoln. Actually, 70 people, including the, the um, building personnel. You've done something to help them to see more clearly who Jesus is. Beautiful. Okay, so here we go. Uh, John the Baptist is introduced by John the Gospel writer. So what I'm going to do, it's actually quite a few verses. Um, would you stand your feet? And I'm going to read it. All right. And this is the testimony of John, starting in verse 19 chapter 1. This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask Him, Who are You? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Now I want to be very clear about something right here. This is the first time we see the word Christ introduced in John's Gospel in this way. It means Messiah anointed one the jews are anticipating the arrival of a savior a deliverer an anointed one who will rescue them will deliver them from oppression now many of the jews believe it will be from earthly oppression by the romans who ruled harshly over them at this time and, <laughs> and nearly over time that uh, they had a relationship with them so uh the, the, these religious people from jerusalem the kind of main religious city Uh, are are coming to John the Baptist and saying, hey, you're doing some spiritual stuff that reminds us of some Old Testament stuff. And so, uh, are you the Christ? We're anticipating the arrival of the Savior, the Anointed One, the Messiah, we need Him to come. Are you the Christ? Okay? And he says, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, well, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He said, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, "I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the path, or make straight the way of the Lord." as the prophet Isaiah has said. So he's actually quoting a passage from the prophet Isaiah written 700 years before, which we'll look at in a second. Verse 24. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked them, "Then why are you baptizing, if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet?" John answered, "I baptize with water, but among you stands one." you do not know even who he who comes after me the strap of whose sandals i am not worthy to untie these things took place in bethany across the jordan where john was baptizing verse 29 the next day he saw jesus coming toward him and he said behold everybody say behold, oh. behold. Amen, brother. thank you all right behold the <laughs> lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world this is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who rakes before me, because he was before me. And I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit send from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. And he's alluding to something that's happened before whenever he actually baptized Jesus immersed him in water. And he saw the Spirit come down in the form of a dove on him. So verse 33, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water has said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. John the Baptist comes to prepare the way. To prepare the way, John must understand, first of all, who he is not. He must understand who he is not. He says right away I am not the Savior, I am not Elijah. I, which again, was an Old Testament uh, voice, a prophet that was very significant. I am not a prophet. I am not saying I am not claiming to be some kind of spiritual giant. Now, I want to just say something here quickly because in Matthew's gospel, Jesus actually associates John the Baptist with Elijah. This is really interesting because John the Baptist is downplaying his influence, his role in in what God is doing. It was kind of down thing. He's, very, he's humbling himself. And I am not those guys that you look to as spiritual giants, as spiritual heroes. But Jesus in Matthew chapter 11 associates John the Baptist with Elijah, which, which is kind of out of place, but I'll make the point that we ought to wait until Jesus makes our influence significant. I mean, we don't have to go around saying, hey, I am significant for Christ. We get to wait until God gives us the kind of influence that maybe we long for, but what we ought to do is just be faithful with the little things and let God increase the influence. And that is including in your family, in your neighborhood, and your work, and, and maybe that's just for me. Okay, so here we go. So he has to know who he is not. He's not John the Baptist. I mean, I'm sorry, he is John the Baptist. He's not the Messiah. He is not Elijah. He is not a prophet. He's really downplaying his own role, although Jesus listed up in another place. To prepare the way, he must know who he is not. But he also must understand who he is. So they ask him, who are you? We've come from Jerusalem. We've got to find out who you are. We can't go back telling people we don't know who you are. We need to give an account as to who you are and why you're baptizing people. Well, John the Baptist quotes Isaiah chapter 40. He says, I'm the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. So he's saying, I'm the one that's going to come before the Messiah. And he references Isaiah chapter 40. This happens throughout John's gospel, and on a number of occasions we'll go back into the Old Testament where John, the gospel writer, quotes something that happens in the Old Testament, and we'll discover what he uh, means. So, in Isaiah chapter 40, if you're quick with your Bible, go to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. Because this is the part of Isaiah's prophecy. Again, Isaiah the prophet wrote 700 years or so before... Uh, The arrival of the Christ, the arrival of Jesus, which is about 800 years before John writes his gospel. And so John the Baptist is quoting it. And and here's the original usage of this this thing that John the Baptist uses Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. Here's what it says A voice cries. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, in the original context that Isaiah was using it, the primary meaning had to do with with um, Isaiah calling the people to improve the road systems so that God's chosen people, the Israelites who were in captivity in Babylon would be able to return to the promised land. Now if you don't understand it, it's okay but some of you are tracking with me. So what Isaiah is doing is he's saying, hey prepare the way. God is going to do something significant and and he's going going to bring his chosen people back from captivity, which they're in captivity because of their sinfulness, he's going to do something significant in spite of their sinfulness in the world. Prepare the way for this. Prepare the roads for this. And so when John the Baptist says, I am the one sent declaring, prepare the way. What he's essentially saying is, I am the one to tell you, get ready. God is getting ready to move in a significant way. God is getting ready to do something special. God is getting ready to affect to, um, the events of history so significantly that, that uh, you better wake up. Here, here is something really, really important about to happen. John the Baptist is saying, I am the one sent by God to tell you that the time has come for God to do something extraordinary. So when he quotes Isaiah, it's really, really, he's putting it on the line. He's got a lot of courage here. John the Baptist uh, prepares the way, but he must understand who he's not. He's not the Christ. He's not the one they're looking for. He's not some kind of spiritual superhero. But he understands he has a role in what God's doing in the world. He's he's the one that gets to prepare the way for people to see that Jesus is about to come. And he understands who he is because he he has a sense of what God's doing in the world. So who he is, his identity... Is rooted in what God will do in humanity. This is why maybe... The Scripture seems to like indicate that he wasn't really concerned with, with looking like everybody else. In fact, what he wore was quite strange. He ate locusts and honey, which is the food of poor people. So he wasn't even really concerned with looking rich or looking really important. But he understood who he was... Because he knew what God was doing in the world and what, was going, what he was going to do through him, which is really pretty awesome to consider. Uh, the people ask him, why are you baptizing? Baptism happened in this day, but um, in, in different ways. And so for John the Baptist to be, to be taking the role of baptizing people, immersing them in water, which the word baptism means to immerse in water, which is why we practice believers' baptism. It's a way of people identifying themselves with God's people. Baptism by immersion. He says, uh, why are you baptizing me? you're not the Christ, or not the Elijah, or not the prophet. And so uh, he says, well, I'm, I'm baptizing you with water. but There will be one who will come and baptize you in the spirit. So I'm getting you ready for the arrival of the Messiah. But you know, his behavior is strange. I love this tension in scripture and spiritual leaders and seeking people that have had significant impact. Sometimes what they do is strange. So if you ever feel like following Christ is strange, doing what the Bible teaches you to do is strange, like, it, it's okay. It is a little weird at times. Somebody said to me this week, they were talking uh, to another person about uh, Jesus and, uh, and about the Gospel and what the good news of the Bible is. And uh, this person said to him, you know, it's just my problem with Christianity is that people that really believe it are weird. I mean, Peter calls us daily strangers. I'm not asking you to be purposely weird. Okay? Some of you are like, ah, oh, sweet. <laughs> <Really? clears throat> no, but, but, but your behavior is weird. It, it can it can be different. Um, John the Baptist, what he does is different. But it's a part of his understanding of what God's doing in the world. So John the Baptist also understands who he is by what God's doing. Um... Which is, which is what keeps him humble. He says these words. Even if he comes after me, the strap of his sandal, I'm not worthy to untie. It was typical for a, a rabbi to be able to ask his disciples to do anything except for remove his sandals. And so the, the feet were so dirty and it was um, offensive. I mean, the foot area was a little offensive because it was so dirty. And so... Uh, he, the rabbi who was the leader over the disciples would, um, would be able to ask the disciples to do anything, but he wouldn't be as crass as to ask them to remove his shoes. John the Baptist is saying, I'm not even worthy to remove the shoes of the one who will come after me. You see his humility? Now, yeah. we have a dramatic pause. Everybody say dramatic pause. Oh. Thank you. Um, that's what is happening. Let's put here for a minute. John the Baptist says, they send all of these people, I'm sent as a voice from the wilderness to tell you that the Messiah is coming. I wonder what that was like for him. To have said that. And there would be that period of time before God actually did what he thought he was. You ever experienced that in your life? Where you know God wants to do something in your coworker or your neighbor or your spouse. And you're doing all the right things. You're saying all the right things, but nothing is, nothing's happening. I mean, you're doing some ministry in your building. You're doing some ministry, you know, or, or, or you're trying to shine the light of Christ. You're, you're trying to take some steps of faith. And you're doing all the right things. And that can be a very frustrating period, can't it? God, we thought you wanted us to have this house so that we could serve you in this neighborhood. God, we thought you you, you wanted me to share share these words with my coworker, and And nothing is happening. I mean, there is a dramatic pause. I really think our lives are filled with dramatic pauses. And maybe in the dramatic pause, that's the place where God's spirit works the most in us. John the Baptist has just said, hey, Jesus is coming. Right? He's looking around. Maybe some of you, even this morning, are feeling a dramatic pause in your life. Or it's been a while since you've really seen God's work Move things forward, and I will not, in this moment, offer you a solution. I mean, I'm tempted to, because it's the dramatic pause is the place where we learn to say, "God, though you slay me, I will follow." Though this job isn't working out quite like I thought it would, yet I will remain. Be faithful. Though no one is responding to my attempts to introduce them to Jesus as as the Lamb of God, I will remain. I'll be faithful and I won't walk away. The dramatic path is a really beautiful place to be. It's tough. It's hard. I know. I live it quite often. I'm going to tell you something. There will be a day, I think, where, where that dramatic pause will be interrupted by this moment in God's presence. That will be so significant that you will get to declare something like this. The whole. I mean, what John the Baptist is about to say in verse 29 is, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What an awesome moment. I mean John the Baptist is kind of nervous. He's looking at his camel hair. I don't know. I don't think they'd watches back in those days. But he's looking at looking at something, he's looking at the sundial on the ground, wondering where you know you know. And all of a sudden, the next day he sees Jesus coming toward him. He gets to say, "The whole, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world." See, God is doing something now. Um, this phrase, "Lamb of God," is so just powerful and beautiful, all that. So, I just want to maybe help you to understand what it could mean when He says, "The Lamb of God." In Jeremiah eleven nineteen. gives us this idea that Messiah will be a gentle man. He will be the lamb of daily sacrifice. Maybe he's the the scapegoat, which is an Old Testament reference in Leviticus chapter 16. um, this, this, This animal that sin was symbolically put on and it's sent out to the desert, symbolically bearing the sins of the people. Or maybe Jesus is the lamb in Genesis chapter 22. The lamb, the animal that was was provided for Abraham. as Abraham had walked Isaac to the altar believing that he was going to have to sacrifice his only son. But in the last moment, God provided the sacrifice so that he himself would not have to sacrifice. Maybe, maybe this is the, the, the reference that John the Baptist has in mind, that this is the kind of animal that Jesus is. Um... Maybe he is a guilt offering. And Leviticus chapter 1 through chapter 7 talks about these offerings that the Old Testament, or that the Israelites had to make, and and the shed blood of these animals covered up the sin. But there was one who was talked about by the prophets about who would come and his shed blood would erase sin. Maybe this is who Jesus is. Maybe he's. A servant of the Lord, talked about in Isaiah chapter 53. Or maybe he's the apocalyptic triumphant lamb, talked about in Revelation chapter 7. Or maybe he's the Passover lamb. The lamb led to slaughter on behalf of the people. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then he goes on to to say, this is the one. I baptized with water. This is the one that I saw whenever He was baptized. I saw the Spirit of God descend upon Him and, and as, a, as like, a, like a dove. And I know He's the one that I was sent to prepare the way for. Him. He's the one. Here you go. <laughs> I love that. He's like, okay, behold, here's the one I talked about. That Jesus did His thing. We're going to see Him do His thing throughout the Gospel. But we cannot under... State, or we can overstate how important John the Baptist role in this. And I, I think that as we consider this in his, his life, if we can, for our own lives, think carefully about how we get to prepare the way as followers of Christ for others to, to behold Jesus as the Lamb. Two things, as I begin to draw some application here and draw us to the close. First of all, you must understand who you are not. If you want to prepare the way for others to behold Jesus as the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world, like John the Baptist, you must understand who you are not. You know who you're not. You are not the Messiah. You're not the Savior. You don't have to be. You don't even have to be a spiritual giant. You don't have to know a lot about the Bible. You don't have to be trained in seminary, which is like graduate school for pastors. You don't have to be. You can be a little weird. In fact, you will probably behave in a way that is considered to be a little weird. You don't have to have the answers. You don't have to be perfect. You are flawed. You're in process. You're weak. You're vulnerable. You're limping. This is the kind of person that God uses. This is the kind of person that God uses. This is the kind of person... That God gives identity to, not based on your worth, but based on what He is doing in the world through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Do you get that? So, to to experience what God might do through you to prepare the way for others to behold Jesus as the Lamb of God. And to even care about the good news of the Bible, you must understand who you are not. You don't have to have all the answers. It's okay. You don't. You can even admit that, you know? I have a couple of people that I regularly talk about Christianity with They do not believe and they're way, way, way smarter than me and they ask me questions and I'll just tell them, you know what, I don't know. I don't know what every other world religion thinks. I, I mean, I know a lot about, or I know some about a lot. I don't know. But here's what I do know. God sent Jesus to take away the sin of the world. He was a sacrificial lamb. He laid his life down on the cross. He willingly, suffered so that I don't have to or my sin on the cross so that I don't have to. I I mean, it's a simple message. Corinthians says that that's a foolish message to people who don't believe. You don't have to know everything. God invites you in to introduce people, to help them and, and to be able to declare, behold Jesus. Do that tomorrow. Go to work and just walk into... Your break room and everybody sit in there and just say, Behold Jesus! (laughs) um, Okay, so you must understand who you're not, but you also must understand who you are, which I've already alluded to. Your identity is rooted in what God's doing in the world, in Jesus Christ. This is an awesome part of this whole thing. Your life, left alone, isolated from what God's doing in the world, is so small. It really is. I agree to you. It is so small and so insignificant in history. But in Christ, you get get connected. You get tethered uh, to what God's doing in the world. Just like John the Baptist. You get connected to what God's doing in the world, and that, that becomes your identity. That becomes your sense of self-worth of, you know what? I don't have to be perfect. I don't have to know everything. And I struggle just like just you know, like every other Christian in the world, every other person. But I know this. I'm a part of something that's really big. I'm a part of what God's doing in the world that He's been doing since the beginning. And more clearly for the last 2,000 years through the message about what Jesus Christ did on earth. You're a usable God, not because you're somehow religiously superior or morally perfect. There's not a perfect person in here. Um... But uh, I, I think it's important you understand that who you are is rooted in what God is doing in the world through Jesus, and uh, what you will do. Sometimes will come across weird. People will think it's strange, but it's okay. You know who you are, um, and God is providing the world the land of God. Do you believe that? I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. I, I really believe, and I want you to hear this morning that God wants to use you in the life of somebody. God wants to use you in the life of somebody. Something we talk a lot about as a church is, "Hey, this is gospel. This is good news that God sent Jesus to die for my sins, so I can be reconciled to Him, or, or my sin can be forgiven, and I can enter into a peaceful relationship as a child of God." This message is so important, and the city needs it. Our friends need it. Our coworkers need it. People that we haven't even met yet need it. And we believe it so deeply, and we're so grateful for it, and we're going to have the courage to step forward and to deliver it to people. <laughs> That's what we've said. That's who we are as a church. Our mission is to invite busy people to experience the peace of life of Jesus Christ, which requires conversations with people that don't believe that He is the Christ. That Jesus is the Christ. So, um, so this is this is where I want to challenge you. First of all, uh, I want you to consider this: Who are a few people in your life that need to see Jesus as the Lamb of God? Who are those people? conversation we've had as a church for three years to so how of you think about who are the people in your life. We're doing something this year as a part of our every person challenge. One of the ways that we measure success is are we helping people to reach out? Are we equipping people to reach out to people that, that don't see Jesus as the good news of the Bible, as the good news of humanity? And, um, and so we're doing, as part of that, kind of reaching, part of our mission measure, we're doing... Um, something where we're going to challenge you, encourage you, and pray for you as you reach out to four people. Thanks for listening to this message from Neartown Church. If you want to talk to someone about what you've heard today, please visit neartownchurch.org and click the contact button.